Hi everyone, welcome to Eclipse, a Heroes podcast. Join us, a couple of old school Heroes fangirls, as we revisit the show and defend its honor. My name is Keisha. And I'm Rachel. <laughs> and this week we are discussing Season 1, Episode 11, Fallout. So, uh, a couple of notes before we dive into the episode. If you listened to last week, you may have noticed a word being bleeped out. For those who don't know, that word is Mr. Bennett's first name. And it was a big deal during season one that we didn't know his first name. And we do eventually find it out at the end of the season. And (laughs) Keisha and I had decided to not use that name until it was officially revealed on the show. We thought it'd be funny. Yes. And Keisha always thought that I would be the first to make the mistake. (laughs) Because I had written the name in my notes a few times. No, it just seemed like you would do it because you were such a fan of his and you were always talking about his stuff. Like, I was so sure you would fuck it up before I did. But I like saying HRG. <laughs> yeah, that's what I get. So that that's why there were bleeps in the last episode. <laughs> little little housekeeping there for before we kick off our late our latest episode. That's also a late episode. It's ten thirty at night for me. <laughs> hey man. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh yeah. I don't think there's any other old business to handle. Let's oh, get right into new business. Oh wait, wait, what? There is one piece of old business. What were the final results on is Siler a cat or a dog person? <laughs> Uh, if you looked at our uh, poll on my Twitter account, uh, there was a poll going on for a week. Uh, just wanted to know, is Siler a dog person or a cat person? Uh, 12 people voted. Thank you so much for everyone who voted. Uh, we have our results. Uh, drum roll, please. Yeah, exactly. Um, the final results are in, and it looks like with 75% of the vote, a landslide, if you will. Uh, people think he was a uh, cat person. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> Who were the four people uh, that voted dog? Who the fuck was it? <laughs> Who are you? Who are you? Yeah. Um, no, I don't know. We we thought it'd be fun to do that, and we want to try to start doing more polls weekly. They might be on my Twitter. They might be on the actual podcast Twitter. I guess we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever the mood strikes that day you never know Mm. uh yeah so let's uh let's let's get into it (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um i the the reason for my hesitance will be clear when you see who we're starting with because i'm not excited about it and i'll be open about that because you've come to expect that level of honesty from me uh rachel what's going on with nikki slash jessica dl micah all that fun stuff all right well if you remember the big cliffhanger, I believe, in both the last episode and the one previous, Nikki, or I take it back, Jessica had was hunting, <laughs> was going hunting, and she hunted DL and Micah down and took a shot. So we get to see the results of that. Her shot hit DL in the shoulder, and at that point, DL, like, you know, listen, Jessica, what was that aim? <laughs> you should have went for the head. Instead, she hit the shoulder, all right? He wasn't moving around that much. She missed. 
she tries to hit him in the head with the second shot and at that point he's already aware so it lets it like phase right through him and then jessica's like well i gotta get over finish the job she grabs her gun by the time she gets over to their car both dl and micah have skedaddled into the forest so this is not the first time that dl has been on the run so he's giving micah a few hot tips on how to evade whoever it is that is taking shots of them which they believe to be jessica they actually uh walk backwards from the way that they came after leaving uh dl's bloody shirt behind because i believe in the episode he's like it could be the police and michael's like the police wouldn't do that and he's like well not all police are good and like a few minutes later he's all like well it looked like your mom so (laughs) (laughs) you know I'm pretty sure they know it was Jessica who was after him. Mm. So they find a park ranger station and uh, DL is able to unlock the door to get him some shelter. And it doesn't take long for him to pass out from his injuries. And so we cut to Jessica who's hot on their trail. She finds the coat left behind. And when she grabs the coat, Nikki comes forward again. Like, oh my God, I what did I do? And Nikki and Jessica kind of have a, a tit for tat there in the forest. And, um, you know, Jessica's like, I did what I had to do to get Micah back. And Nikki's like, if you actually cared about Mike, you wouldn't have shot his father in front of him. And, uh, you're out of control, Jessica. You're a part of me. You should do what I say. And as I think I've said in another episode, Jessica's getting tired of doing what Nikki says. She's getting mm-hmm. tired of being the punching bag. She's not going to take the hits for her anymore. She's going to do what she wants. And after this argument, Micah screams out for his mom and jessica skirts calling after him and running toward his voice so nikki and micah get a reunion a little short time later except it's not nikki it is jessica still because she gets her gun out when micah's like come dad's in the cabin but surprise dl is not passed out yet they've concocted a plan in that short absence and he knocks jessica away and she gets pissed off so she hurls deal out of the way and then when micah tries to stop her she also hurls micah into a stack of rocks which injures her son and that is the straw that breaks the camel's back that brings nikki back out for real now and they have a nice little reunion like it's me baby and dl immediately trusts that this is in fact nikki again and they all hug it out and so they're heading back to dl's car at the diner and nikki starts to worry that she can't be trusted and So she decides to leave the briefcase of money behind with them and disappear. Except we get to see where she disappeared to. She goes over to the cop who's investigating the shooting that just happened and says, hey, you need to arrest me for murder. (laughs) (laughs) And that is the long and the short of Nikki, DL, and Micah in this episode. Any thoughts, Keisha? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So... In a past episode, we went on this whole bit about why the Nikki stuff is hard to sit through on a rewatch. And it's funny because I feel like I should have waited until this week. Because the (laughs) entire time that their story was happening, I, I couldn't care. I could not care. Not only was it just like weirdly stretched out because there was hardly anything that actually happened in it. So it was just like, oh, we got to show this little two minute bit. And then, oh, we got to show this two minute bit. They easily could have just wrapped it all up in like one and done and then went back and forth on everyone else instead. If they really felt the need to have them in the episode. Yeah, I don't know. It just the whole like Nikki versus Jessica thing gets kind of tedious. And uh, 
there's more interesting stuff, more cohesive stuff going on elsewhere. So this is exactly what we were talking about when we first mentioned the short end of the stick that Nikki Sanders gets in the show and that whole storyline, her and DL and Micah for the most part. Um, it's, yeah, it's just because like things are spicier elsewhere. There's more interesting stories elsewhere and more people are coming together elsewhere. Whereas they're very isolated still. And I just can't care when there's all these other characters having the chance to meet up and sort of get put on the same path. Finally, now that we're past the homecoming arc, we're really, we're leading up towards the other big arc. And that's just kind of where I sit with, uh, that family and their story at the end of the episode. Yeah. I have another little note about it as well that I didn't think about the length of time we spent on just them running away from Nikki. Oh my God. Which is, which has been at least four episodes. Right. That's what I'm saying. And it's so stretched out. Yes. And this was a um, argument that was launched at season two for a different character. Like why is he here for so long? When we clearly see that Heroes as a show has done this in season one. And it is not a new idea for them to do in season two. That's a really good point. Because that was the one of the biggest criticisms that was lobbed at them in season two. Yes. Was that people were... Storylines were taking too long. And it was taking too long for you know people to get from point A to point B. But this has always been a, a problem with the show, frankly. Yes, it's it's been here since season one. And we get to experience it that way because we are not watching ahead of time. Like, we aren't binging it. We're watching it one episode a week. And it's like, the, the thing that's interesting is that, and I, I don't really remember if it's like fixed so much in season three and season four, but they have this weight on their shoulders and that weight is the how big the cast is. Yes. And, and the need to, to feel like they're giving everyone equal time. Well, guess what? Not everybody deserves equal time. Not every character deserves equal time. I'll say it. Mm-hmm. There are certain characters who certainly could have benefited sitting out an entire chapter, you know, mm-hmm. or volume, actually. It's but, volume, right? Entire volume. Yeah, volume. And resurfaced. But people were already, people, people were already so bitchy about that. Do you know what I mean? Like about like some characters taking a while to even show up in season two. Yes. Um. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like, I guess it sort of just depends how loud the voice of a character's fan base is. Yes, probably. I'm sorry, because I don't think Nikki had as big a fan base as the other characters that were suffering I... from the same thing in season two. Yeah, uh, that's that's just the harsh truth of it. Um, there, there's plenty of characters who, when they're out of the action in season two, or if they're sidelined, or if they're with newer characters that we don't know or care about yet, they certainly have a harder go of convincing the fans, you know, to, to be patient. And when you have a character who just doesn't have the fan base, well, I I guess it just sort of would behoove the show to just bench them for longer. And they didn't feel the need to do that. They felt like, no, 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 everyone needs to, and everyone needs to get stories still. And I, I don't, I don't agree with that. But then, you know, it's like I was saying, people didn't like a lot of how season two was approached in terms of new characters and new locations and new stories. So I don't know. I I feel like they were damned either way. Damned if they do, damned if they didn't. Because like mm-hmm. the original concept was to have a completely new cast every season. Yep. And which, yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, well, it might've worked. It might not have worked, but so people were in love about with these that, characters. That's exactly right. No, that's exactly right. That's the thing about that is they accidentally stumbled into these, like, iconic characters 
that were played by great actors that people really, really loved. And so it was not so easy to just be like, okay, their story's done. Now we're going to tell these stories with these people. And all the audience could do was go, the fuck is this? Oh, I don't know this person. What's going on with the, the cliffhanger for this guy that I like and I've liked for 23 episodes of television? Because I could have seen them doing 25. it a way that would have been like, well, there's, there's certainly a handful of characters who at the end of season one, who I won't talk about yet, have a, mm. in their cliffhanger could have just been like, well, they died. Or, and they could have had them show up in like the volume three. Like, oh, guess what? They're still alive. But kept around certain others or whatever that were okay at the, the end. Yeah, that's the thing. Is It's like they had a cool plan, and I don't think that the television viewing public was ready for it. No. Um, because we had just... Oh, I hate to bring up Lost again. I really do. But <laughs> they really changed the game in a lot of ways. Um, they really brought about a return to heavily serialized television, and they also had the balls to bring about new characters, new situations... Bench, they kind of did everything that heroes wanted to do. Yes and no, because like, as someone who was a big fan of Lost at the time as well, mm. there were a lot of people that were pissed off at some of these new characters as well. Oh, like Nikki yeah. and Paolo. Sure. Lord, did people hate Nikki and Paolo? Um, sure. And they didn't like how some of the new, like, honestly, it suffered from a lot of the same stuff heroes did in terms of new characters and killing them off, like prematurely and you know mm-hmm. kind of trying to stick with the fan favorites and some people getting cut short time and etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah i mean it's it's funny because i didn't even actually even think about it until i'm talking about it right now that they followed a very similar path in terms of yeah trying to, to introduce new stuff and having you know the nerve to like bench jack and kate and sawyer for the you know sake of having other characters come in but they also when they did it right they did it really right uh desmond and the hatch yes is a huge swing, and it wasn't a miss. No. And uh, they were lucky because that doesn't go... Yeah, exactly. Nikki and Paolo of it all. Like, that doesn't always go well. People hated those characters so much. They were so happy when they died. Um, Yes. Yes, they were. And then with heroes... Well, I mean, just write down a list of all the new season two characters and then tell me how far they get. Yeah, you know? a lot of them get relinquished to the comic or mm-hmm. die, like, rather or, or quickly die. in the beginning of season three. Yeah. I'm trying so, to think of anyone that, like, makes it further. Uh, well, how? okay, so I think the person who makes it the farthest is Elle. Probably, yeah. Because she, she survives quite a long time. Yeah. And she has a lot of story. But the, see, then again, I would say that she's kind of like the Desmond of, of, of heroes in some ways. Because you have, like, the perfect combination of actress or actor and character. And just the right amount of injection into storylines of characters that we know and love. Mm-hmm. And not trying to just take over the show from other people. They were serving the show. And that's the key to it, I think. And, and also, whether or not they're actually serving the show, you have to make the audience think that that's what they're doing and they're not taking the spotlight from your faves. Even if they might do that occasionally, you just have to assure your audience that this isn't happening like no one's taking time from your your peters your hero etc you you have to make it seem like they're they're part of it they've become part of the cohesiveness of the fabric of the cast and 
L was done right, I would say, uh, in how they slowly kind of injected her into other stories. She had a and nice pre-built kind of backstory to slide yes. into. Yes. I am, however, as I say it, I am, however, sad that she never got her company, man. She never got her own episode. She, she did was get just a supporting actor. She did get like the show. last batch of comics for the show ever. I know, kind of but dedicated you know to what her I mean. backstory. But yes, I know what you mean. Because mm-hmm. she had a really cool backstory and was like a fun, uh, like shadow version of Claire and how it could have gone for her. Yes, and it would have been cool to see. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I think L. Because, I mean, look at the rest of them. Um, you got Alejandro, you got Maya, you got West, you got Adam. West, who I keep forgetting about until people mention him. You again. keep forgetting he exists, which I think is amazing. <laughs> That's proving my point perfectly. Um, Monica. Oh, fuck. Yeah, Monica. I always forget about Monica. <laughs> Shit, that's bad. All right. Yeah, I don't know. It's just there's, there's right ways to do it, wrong ways to do it. And I think they did a little of both, but so did other shows. So I guess it all comes back around to what we say in the first episode, which is heroes gets crucified for all the wrongs that other shows did too. And season one is not perfect. Mm -mm. And season three and four. Yeah. Season three and four are one hell of a ride. So, you know. Yeah. No season of this show is without flaws. No season. Like, but that's true of any, I I, I mean, there aren't that many so-called perfect seasons of television. There just aren't. You know, pick any show that you like that is, like, your favorite show in the world and you th- and you think it could do no wrong. You'll always think of one storyline or one character you didn't care for. Oh, always. That's just how it works. It's just, it's interesting because we are seeing it in the non-binge way again. Mm-hmm. We get to watch it week to week and we have to sit with this being the, the last taste and being like, oh, God, yeah, this has been going on for four episodes. <sighs> yes. So, it's not a, just season two problem. It happened in season one. Etc. That's I find that interesting. So yeah, no, I think it is too. Um, well, that all said, uh, we we do get to see the thing I was talking about that we don't get to see with Nikki, DL, and Micah. We get to see more characters meeting, having interactions, and coming together into a new goal for our our gang of heroes. Uh, Rachel, what's Isaac up to this week? Isaac. Well, he's still at the company, at least to start the episode. We see him uh, sketching in his Primatech room and he's enjoying doing art again, being sober. It's why he liked to do comics because they, were, um, they weren't they were serious. You could do whatever you wanted with them. And in spite of him doing all these sketches, he's still not sure he can paint the future while clean. But he's staying clean due to the fact that the doors are locked. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no way for him to get high, even if he wanted to. And um, Eden tells... Isaac that Claire is alive and that Peter saved her. So he is delighted that he was able to, with his paintings, save the future. And Peter being able to save Claire gives him hope that they will be able to change other things and stop the bomb. So Eden drops a bomb on Isaac after that, that she is going to be leaving and she can't tell him where she's going. And Isaac's like, well, if you're gone, you know, who's going to help save the world? And Eden, who is a little upset about other things in the episode, which we will cover a little bit later, (laughs) she leaves him with a parting gift of a phone and a pass card to Primatech. And if no one in the world is going to save the world and change it, then Isaac has to be the one to do it. And 
she leaves him. So we'll move on from Isaac to one of Isaac's biggest fans, Hiro Nakamura. Mm -hmm. And Hiro and Ando, we get to see at Union Wells underneath the bloody homecoming banner that Isaac himself painted. And Hiro's all like, well, (laughs) the cheerleader's dead. We failed. Isn't that swell? Whoops. And he's downtrodden, but not as downtrodden as he's gotten before, especially after the poker players and stuff, because he's been through a bit of shit in the meantime (laughs) with Charlie and he's experienced failure again. So he's like, well, we are going to go forward regardless, even if we seem to have failed saving the cheerleader. And um, he's got a plan. He's like, first we have to find Peter. Then we have to find the artist. And then we're going to stop the bomb. Sounds great, right? Well, Hero's phone rings, and guess who it is? It is Isaac Mendez giving him a call. And he's like, guess what, boys? We're going to meet up. Woohoo. And <laughs> when he tells Ando, or Ando asks who calls, and he's like, Destiny. And Ando's like, I wish Destiny would lose our number. So good. And so Hero and Ando go to the bus station where they are waiting for Isaac and... Isaac shows up to Texas, which he's already in Texas, if you remember where he is. So it's not that big of a of a drive. And they head over to the Burnt Toast Diner, their new little, their at least temporary um, little hangout spot for now. And Isaac gets to see the comic from the future. And he's like, you know, this hasn't even gone to print yet. And he lets Hero know that he can only, you know, paint the future when he's on drugs. And uh, he then asks Hero, like, what did he see in the future? And... Hero's like, oh, I saw the bomb, and I saw you, and he didn't really want to tell him that he saw him dead, but Ando's like, dude, you gotta tell him. (laughs) So he tells him that he saw him dead with his head cut off. And then Isaac's like, oh, well, the man that does that, he's caught now, so I should be fine. He's taken care of. So the hero gets excited about that, and um, he lets him know that the man who cut off the head, who cuts off the top of the head, killed a good friend of his, who was Charlie the Waitress. And this sparks a little something in Isaac's memory, so he quickly flips back through his sketchbook, and sure enough, he drew Charlie, Hero, and Ando meeting at the um, diner. And he drew all those sketches sober, so that means... Isaac can paint the future sober. Yay! <laughs> Woohoo! Yatta! Woohoo! Yatta, if you will. Yatta. And Isaac drops a bomb <laughs> on Hero that his most recent painting was an exploding man, which leads them to the question how do you stop an exploding man? So, a little bit later, we're in a hotel room with Hero, Isaac, and Ando. And Isaac is going to give it a go to paint again to paint the future. We see Hero encouraging Isaac. He's like, I don't know if I can do it. You know, concentrate, concentrate. And sure enough, Isaac can paint the future. His eyes go white. He starts painting. So you've got Hero and Ando like anxiously looking over his shoulder. And then when they go to check on what he's painting, Ando's like, I thought he only painted the future. (laughs) Because what do we see but Hero with a sword facing off with a T-Rex. And Ando's like, well, bud, you're gonna die. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Ando. (laughs) Rip that guy. Mm -hmm. And instead, Hero takes from it that, oh, I need to go find that stored. And we will get to see this painting come to life in a future episode. (laughs) And as we've seen with a lot of Isaac's paintings previously, they aren't exactly what you think they are. So they don't Mm -hmm. exactly become what you expect them to become. 
So we'll get to see that. And that is where we leave off with the boys. Hero discovering his new quest, which seems to be finding some kind of sword. A samurai sword. Any thoughts, Keisha? Um, just a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, watching this again and seeing how Hero and Isaac interact... I love watching Hero guide him and encourage him. That's lovely. Because, you know, Isaac and other characters are always surrounded by so many doubters. It's great when they're in the room with someone who can do what they can do. And it's just nothing but, like, positivity, encouragement, and, yeah, we can do this. Let's figure it out. It's a good energy. Yes. Uh, Also, um, yeah, Hero has so many great interactions with season one characters like this. Like, he, he gets to bounce all over... And hang out with pretty much everybody. Um, He's probably one of the few characters that ends up meeting almost everyone before the finale. I think HRD does as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, his his makes sense because of his job and everything. But I just just like how Hero gets to casually meet with heroes and villains both uh, throughout the season. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't have, like, too much to add to it. Uh, I like, I like that. I like how interpretive Isaac's paintings always are. I like when we're actually going to see that scene come to life. It's it's totally not what you think it's going to be. One of my favorite things about Isaac's power is that, and one of the like best decisions the show ever made was the fact that so many of his sketches, drawings, and paintings are very uh, banal. They're not all like, this is this life-changing event, and oh, this is going to happen. Like, sometimes it's like, yeah, I totally sketched you guys in a diner together. Like, sometimes it's just real normal stuff. Because if he could see the future, he wouldn't be able to just tune it like a radio and be like, no, I only want to see the bad stuff. And I only want to see the, the disasters I need to prevent. No, he would he would get all kinds of images and glimpses. And so I always thought it was cool that Isaac had, like, a lot of output that was just kind of, well, okay, that doesn't seem too dire, but cool painting, I guess. <laughs> like, I don't know, I always thought that was a neat touch. It's banal, but it's important at the same time. Sure, 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 sure. But they don't all have that, like, zazz factor of, like, the cheerleader paintings and the exploding man. And And I guess the other thing I would add is, in this episode in particular, we are really positioning Isaac to be a main hero, capital H. He helped uh, Peter and Hero. He's he's really, he's guiding them. He's, He's giving them you know, the messages they need to figure out how to act. He gets a lot of screen time in a way that's very positioning him to be an important lead, especially now that he's clean and capable and learning how to deal with his power while being clean. It's really positioning him as a very important character, not just for what his power can do and and what it can do to move the plot forward, but we're getting a better sense of his personality, which we couldn't have gotten before because he was in the throes of addiction. I, I feel like this episode in particular really sends Isaac on the path of being one of the most important characters in the show, not just because of his power and how it moves script forward, but just him as a person. So I'd agree. If you remember the beginning of Isaac's tale, we had Eden coming to his little cell room area there in Primatech. And... Let's find out what she was upset about. Take it away, Keisha. So we're slowly starting to see the inner workings of Primatech Paper Company. And we're getting more and more of a look at the inner workings of the company itself. And when we saw Isaac, he was just in a room that, yes, had a lock. 
But it was very, it honestly looked like a rehab facility. Yes, the door was locked, but it was one of the nicer rehabs. It, you know, had a little space for him. He had a little bit of furniture. He had a bed. All of this was pretty chill. So that's one level of things at the company. If you're a much more dangerous person, there's a whole other type of cell for you. And when we first get to see Bennett and Eden, they are outside that kind of very high security cell. And sure enough, that is the cell where Siler is being kept since they took him after his attempt on Claire Bennett's life. So they're standing outside of his cell and Eden right away just doesn't understand why they're keeping this guy alive. He tried to kill Claire. He is very dangerous. He's killed several people. He is a huge threat. He's not the kind of person they can easily handle or manipulate or coerce. He's just a weapon and he needs to be dealt with accordingly. Bennett might agree, but Bennett doesn't really get to make these sorts of choices. So they have a little bit of back and forth about this, setting up a little conflict between them. Before Mr. Bennett goes in and checks on their their little guest. <laughs> so he turns the lights on him. He's in a dark cell. It's a cell. It's a slab. There's no bed. Uh, it's, it's really intense. There's no furniture. There's no nothing. There's like a sink. He goes in and it's he's in the viewing area outside of the cell. He's not stupid enough to walk into the cell. And he, he and Siler have their first face-to-face after, oops, he tried to kill his daughter. Uh, awkward. <laughs> so they have their first face-to-face and it's just instantly a great little antagonistic relationship because even though, by all accounts, Siler is absolutely the vulnerable person here, he lost a lot of blood when he fell on Peter, he got stitched up by the company. They saved his life. He probably would have died. He can't use his powers, he finds out, while he's locked up. So that's terrifying. Uh, all that said, he doesn't want to let this guy think that he's the weak one. He doesn't come this far to do that. So they have their little back and forth. Bennett's calling him Gabriel so much because he knows it'll piss him off. And it does. <laughs> he has a great little, like, classic kissy fit. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just love how he immediately just struts right up, right to the window. Like, just, yeah, there's glass in between us right now, but there isn't always going to be. He doesn't, uh, I don't know. I just, I always loved how he was just like, I'm not scared of you. He is, though. Trust me, he is. He just doesn't want to show it. <laughs> and they're very just back and forth. Like when he does all the Gabriel stuff and Siler's like, my name is Siler. Like everyone remembers. And, and, and Bennett just fucking smirks at him. Just, just smirks. Like, all right. Like you're fucked. Uh, don't know if you know this yet, but you're not getting out of here. And you lost, so you're just going to have to deal with that. You're not special. You're not no one right now. You're just an insignificant little watchmaker. I was like, oh, you just, you know all the buttons. You know all of them. You barely know this guy, and you know all the buttons it takes to really get under his skin. As we saw from 
his origin in the last episode. But I love how when Siler starts right up to him, he just immediately starts talking about Claire because he knows that's the button for Bennett. And he talks <laughs> about her in really creepy terms because that's the kind of thing a, a father wouldn't want to hear about his teenage daughter. Like, they both know how to get to each other. And it's the start of a lovely relationship. Uh, these two, uh, they're, they're going to go through it, man. They are going to go back and forth like very few characters on this show. And I'm very excited to see the evolution of their relationship again. Uh, but basically, he's pretty much just, just Bennett's like, there's nothing you can do because he's used to being in control in this situation. And so he just leaves him in the dark like, haha. And it's, it's really, really frustrating for Eden because she's like, what the hell? Like, we can't let this guy live. And, I mean, Bennett gets a phone call from someone higher up. They make the shots, not him. He's a middle manager. Like, we've always seen Bennett so far as a, a threat to people with powers in that he's got a lot of authority. He has means of taking these people into custody or controlling them via his, you know, partnership with the Haitian. We never really get to realize the structure of things until we see Siler get captured. And it's like, oh, no, no. This guy's like an assistant to the regional manager. He can't make decisions. He can't decide whether or not Siler lives or dies. Other people are making those choices. We'll meet them down the line. But it's, it's interesting to see Bennett in the machinations of the company as a whole. Just be like, no, he's, he's, uh, he's got bosses. And they make these choices and not him. And it really sort of humanizes him in a really important way. So basically, Eden's like really frustrated. And she's like, look, you know, I've got my awesome power. I'll just tell him to kill himself. And it'll be that easy. And you won't get in trouble. And he'll be out of the way. So she actually, and, and, and Rachel, if you want to mention this right here, because I missed that she tried to do this. Uh, she attempted to use her power on him again. Like I noticed in the last episode, um, or well, it wasn't six months ago. Yeah, it was six months ago, wasn't it? Uh, there, it was the episode. It was six months ago because it was when they uh, first found her. I think she did the two women homecoming though as well, if I remember Quite correctly. Where yeah. she was like, <laughs> you could hear the music kind of trying to emphasize that she's trying to do something to him. And he looks at her for a long moment. And then we look over and see the Haitian is there. So she can't do anything right now. <laughs> yeah, she uh, she's she's pretty helpless to get done what she feels like needs to be done. And she's very, very frustrated about it. And it's part of why she ends up making the decision she makes later. But the other part is something I'll get into when we get to that point. But right now, I want to mention Mohinder very briefly because he does not show up in the episode very long. But there are a couple things that need to be said about his actions. So we just see Mohinder... And he arrives back in New York. He's moving back in to the apartment that his father used. And Eden left him a little note that was like, welcome back, don't get to work, smiley face. And so he does. He's putting the map together with all the various colored threads. He's getting all of his research in order. He tries very hard to warn the proper authorities of what's going on. He actually 
manages to get a hold of uh, the FBI offices at Quantico and is like, hey, did you get my list? You need to warn these people. You need to tell them they're in danger, et cetera, et cetera. And they're giving him the runaround because who's this guy? I mean, who, who, who is this guy? What the hell? What is, what is he doing? They're not going to take him seriously. He's going to have to fight this fight of not being taken seriously for a while, probably. But, you know, bless him for trying, I guess. You can't say Mohinder didn't try. So that's pretty much all we get with Suresh. Is he's just, you know, he's back in New York and he's back to work. Uh, popping back over to Siler again at the company. He and Bennett have another little tete-a-tete. And it seems like Siler's losing his, his uh, upper hand this time, though. Because they go back and forth and he has this really great line about like, you know, oh god, he does the fucking villain thing where he's like, we're not so different, you know. I just, oh, it makes me cringe every time they didn't need to make him say that. Uh, it's like, it's like, you don't need to make the subtext the text, my guy. So, um, he's like, you collect special people and so do I. Just trying to be a little shit. And Bennett, completely nonplussed. He's like, let me tell you what's going to happen. We're going to take you apart, Gabriel. Just like one of your little watches. Ooh, I mean timepieces, because earlier he made him mad by calling them watches. And he leaves him, like, with that bomb dropped that, guess what? Not only are you imprisoned, but they're gonna cut you open, friend. It's it's pretty, it's pretty, I don't know, is that ironic? <laughs> it's probably <laughs> ironic. Uh, so he shuts the light off, uh, lights off on him again, and Quinto does this great thing where you're like, yeah, he's pissed and he's helpless. But he's getting kind of afraid because uh, he's without his abilities, which had become a big crutch to him as of late. And and it's going to be interesting to see what happens, what he's going to do now, given the path that he's gone on as a person without powers. Like, is that going to change how he decides to act? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say he's probably still going to be quite violent and lash out because just remember Brian Davis is all I'd have to say. So going back to the Eden of it all at near the end of the episode, she calls Mohinder up and she's like, so I need to tell you something. I lied to you. We needed to talk about this, but first I'm going to make things right. I'm going to kill the man that murdered your father. Mohinder's really confused and this is really out of the blue. And he's like, what were you talking about? And she hangs up. And she goes to visit Siler. And she's going to do what she feels like needs to be done. She's got one of the company guns. That very distinct gun. And she comes right up to him. And she doesn't have the Haitian. And she doesn't have anyone else. Because she's doing this all on her own. She shouldn't even be doing it. And she's outside of the glass. And he recognizes her. Thus proving that she was someone that he at least saw uh, around when he was hanging out with Chandra because mm-hmm. he's like oh that wonderful power and you're you know you're power of persuasion and the whole time you were the girl next door he just feels like damn really missed out on that but that's okay because you're right here and I'm gonna get it so he blames her it's, okay this is interesting this might make the episode long I don't care he blames her for how he acts in the past he says you knew what this was because, you know, obviously she works at the company and you let it continue. Now, you could do like a spoiler warning here if you want, but <laughs> it 
it needs to be said that in season three, we see a company girl come about in Gabriel's past who does the exact same thing that Siler is leveling an accusation at Eden about. So, and also it's the whole thing of letting this guy not just live, but gain power. Because the company has interesting values, let's say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they are not do-gooders. They are very much interested in what is best for them. And sometimes that means things like not only letting bad guys live, but helping them. And I'll just dangle that till we get to season three. Because they are responsible for a lot of shit that we have no concept of right now. In terms of, of helping Siler become who he is. Uh, they are very much to blame. So he tries to pass the buck. And she's just sitting here like, alright, whatever. Like, I, I'm, I'm not, you know gonna deal with this like i'm gonna make you kill yourself so Ian's there and she's gonna take care of him and she tries to use her power and instead he breaks through the glass and grabs her by the neck and he tells her he's gonna take her power and it's this whole big violent to do and then so that that doesn't happen eden decides she's gonna turn the gun on herself he says a weird thing before she does he says oh eden you know that's not gonna hurt me which i I've never understood that line. Like, you can't heal. Well, I just, I actually just understood it, like, shortly after. <laughs> because I also ran that question through my head. You know, like, why does he say that? But it's like, mm -hmm. duh, he has telekinesis. He can stop the bullet. Yeah. So, like, right now, because the Haitian is nowhere to be found, he, you know, just TK smashed through that glass to grab her. Anyway, so Eden turns the gun on herself. And she kills herself so that he can't get her power. Because, you know, it's in the brain. So if she ruins the brain, then he's fucked. Let's talk about the behind the scenes of it all. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's do that again, shall we? Uh, we can't find it now, which is really frustrating. But back in the day, there was a blind item going around on various gossip sites. That there was an actress who... I believe it was she was asking for more money. Yes. And instead of getting a raise, would get killed off of her very popular show. And if you watch the show again, the way the whole Eden thing is presented is so awkward and kind of out of the blue. Where it's like, yeah, obviously she would want to do the right thing. Not, well, not even do the right thing, but do her own thing. Uh, and she would know the Siler is a threat that needs to be dealt with. But just the way that it's cut together... Is just very, it's very like, oh, she's going to get killed off right now, isn't she? Like, you just knew it. You knew she wasn't going to win going up against this character. Uh, yeah, so Nora, Nora Zahetner was killed off of Heroes because of this. Eden was supposed to have a bigger role going forward. Um, so Siler killed her instead. But didn't get her power because then he would have been too powerful. Yeah, you remember it as a blind item, but I remember seeing it on an entertainment show, like Entertainment well, Tonight or something, of them being like spilling the complete tea on like she wanted more money and now she's uh, dead, like after it happened. 
I thought it was like a blind item and then it got revealed everywhere. That is possible. I, I don't remember. But so. remember, we've said before, you used to read a lot more of the sites well, at the time, whereas I would yeah. probably just get my information from like shows like that. Yeah, I was all about like just Jared and all the E blind sites and like uh, Pink is the new blog and all that shit. So, yes. ONTD, which I'm still a reader of. Uh, mm-hmm. So. <laughs> So yeah, that's what happened with with her and people, you know, who complained that the character was killed off unjustly or too early. Well, that's that's what happened. So don't be mad at the show. Yes, they made their choices. But uh, yeah, so we leave things off with Siler, <laughs> Siler, <laughs> uh, you know, getting a, a little, a little, a little bit of an upper hand again. But I'm pretty sure he'll be immediately put down <laughs> for this. Uh, this is a big mistake. Uh, he didn't even get a power out of it. Shucky darn. So. Oh, golly. Yeah, oh, golly. But, yeah, did you have any thoughts about that whole mess? <laughs> oh, I, I did have a little bit as you were talking I thought about. Um, mm. The Siler versus HRG in this episode was like the show's two big villains coming to a head. Because if you will remember, HRG is the face of evil, according to the promos. (laughs) And now we see the actual face of evil. So we get to see their coming together in this episode. And yeah, I just thought like, yeah, these are supposed to be the two bad guys and they're together right now. So also we get to see both of them under their limitations. Yes. And, and how they react to that. Bennett having to kowtow to the bosses and Siler having to reconcile with not having powers. That's a fun dynamic. And as you said before, their dynamic together continues <laughs> through this season and into others. So, oh, yeah, we will. It's one of my absolute favorite things in the world. Same. Like, one of the biggest tragedies of Reborn is the fact that we don't get to see any more of that because I would have absolutely loved to have seen Bennett dealing with what Peter and Siler end up doing. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. That would have been a delight. Sadly not to be. Not to be. I mean, it could have been if it was a comic instead of a show, but that's for an argument oh, for another day. Jesus God. Don't <laughs> even get me started. We're already going long probably. Um, so, People are uh, home right now. They've got nothing better to do. That's doesn't matter how long. <laughs> that's my argument. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that's what's happening in the whole Siler part of the story. But we also have a couple characters coming into town who have been part of the Siler story since day one. What's going on with Matt and Audrey? Ooh. Well. Matt hasn't been apart since day one, but damn, Audrey's been on this Siler case for three months, so she says. And, uh, which gives you a little bit more of a timeline. We saw six months ago with, uh, Gabriel starting to get his shit together. So there's, like, after three months, (laughs) they start to get a case file on Siler. And yet, Chandra doesn't die until maybe another three months later. So let Mm -hmm. let your imagination run wild. Anyway, back to Matt and Audrey. So we meet up with Matt and Audrey at Union Wells High School and there's been a cheerleader who died <laughs> and she died with the Siler M.O. So that is why Audrey is there. And while they're looking over the crime scene and trying to, they're like, we have this guy in, in custody. His name is Peter Petrelli. And 
uh, Matt's like, does he look like, you know, a candidate for Siler? And she's like, no, he doesn't. <laughs> but we got to talk to him anyway. <laughs> and uh, while they're there, she uh, is ribbing Matt because of the whole Janice thing. And she's like, come on, dude. She slipped up. It happens. And like, surely you've cheated on her, right? And he's like, no. <laughs> and she's like, well, then you're not like the usual cops. They're usually all dogs. You know, and he's like, well, what does that make you like a woman cop? And she's like, well, bitches, we keep it in the dog, the canine family, you know. And so they look over the crime scene and Matt takes a few steps and he notices a, like two more sets of footprints. And he's like, you know, this is probably where our Siler went. There's this pool of blood here and then two extra sets of footprints. But they don't get to chase down that lead because they've got Peter Petrelli to go interrogate. So they go down to the police station. Peter, who's not looking very good. <laughs> is, he's looking rough. He is looking rough. And uh, he's sitting there in the cell. Or no, he's sitting there in the interrogation room. My apologies. And uh, Audrey's like, so, you know, you were covered in blood. You got no injuries. And what is a hospice nurse from New York doing at a high school in Texas? You some <laughs> kind of pervert? And Peter's quiet. He's like, my brother said not to talk. And, you know, Audrey's like, well, we don't need you to talk because guess who's there? Matt. So Matt makes a go at trying to read Peter's mind. And what happens at first is they both get a great headache. And Peter <laughs> immediately can tell Matt is doing something to him. He's like, what the hell are you trying to do to me? And um, the only thing Matt can pull out is save the cheerleader. And Audrey thinks, well, too late for that. She's dead, which... <gasps> Peter heard in her mind and it makes him freak out because he's like, oh God, Claire's dead. And then Matt's like, wait, did you just read her mind? <laughs> <laughs> and Peter goes off and uh, they say, no, it was not, Claire's not dead. It was another cheerleader. And he's like, Claire's the one that you need to protect. You have to go after her. You know, she, she's important. You have to, she has to stay safe. And so mm -hmm. they kind of like leave him alone in the room after that. And we next see them now interviewing Claire, who is sitting with HRG. And it's just Audrey in the room with them because Matt is in the mirrored window trying to listen in more subtly than they did with Peter. <laughs> so Audrey's trying to ask, like, did the man exhibit anything out of the ordinary, you know? And mm. she's like, I don't know what you, you mean other than, like, killing my friend. And she's like, well, he fell five stories and walked away without a scratch. That's kind of not ordinary. And they, uh, I'm trying to remember now, like, because I didn't write it down, <laughs> if they mentioned Peter. Oh, fuck. Uh, I think she on. says, like, you know, oh, like, how she, I think she says, like, how the man and Peter or the other guy fell off these the building. And so Claire asks about Peter because she knows he's there. And uh, so Audrey's like, well, what do you know about Peter? Yeah, she wants to talk to Peter. That's what it says in my notes. Yeah. And Claire's like, well, all I know is he saved my life. And <laughs> meanwhile, as Audrey keeps poking her, she starts asking, like, well, Claire, they found your blood at the crime scene, but you don't seem to have a scratch either. <laughs> and uh, so Bennett, like... Kind of ends their little mm. talk there and they leave the room. Uh, Audrey could tell she was hiding something because Claire wasn't giving them direct answers. And she's like, well, it's not going to be a problem because, you know, 
I got Matt in the other room. He's going to tell, tell me all about her thoughts. And Matt kind of intercepts them leaving and introduces himself to Bennett, still trying to get that read. And he has to break the news to Audrey that, like, I couldn't hear anything she was thinking. It was like an absence of sound. It was static in my mind. And he's like, the only other time that I heard that this happened to me was at the bar before I got abducted. And so Matt is immediately suspicious that this is connected. Like, this only happened one other time, and it was when I lost time. And now it's happening with this cheerleader and this guy. And we do see that the Haitian is there at the police station. Like, as he mentions, that there's a nice little cut over that the Haitian was standing there as he skedaddles away from <laughs> Matt and Audrey. I love that. And He's just like, whoop. Yeah, just like, whoop, gotta go. <laughs> I'm just, I'm here now. <laughs> now I'm gone. So this connection leads Matt and Audrey to go on a stakeout outside Primatech Paper Company. And we get some more, like, flirty chemistry between Audrey and Matt a little bit. And <laughs> he's like, you know, she's giving him hell. Like, why don't you call your wife so you can stop, like, behaving this way, you know? And he's like, well, I don't want to be a chump. And she's like, you'd be more of a chump for not forgiving your wife for this. Mistakes happen. People slip up. No one is perfect. And he's like, shut up and eat your Tex-Mex. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, sure enough, we see HRG walk out from the paper company and, wow, he's talking to this mysterious Haitian fella who looks very familiar to Matt. And so he kind of zones in on them and tries to get a read. And for his efforts, he gets a lovely little nosebleed again. Because <laughs> he's trying like hero concentration level hard. Hero would be like, yes, Matt, concentrate. Perfect. That's the way we do it in this house. Yes. <laughs> And for that effort, he also gets a name. He gets to hear, he hears Siler in their thoughts. That name is conveniently the person that they are also after. And the man whose mind he couldn't read before is the one spewing out that name again. So mm -hmm. this is pointing them toward the direction of Siler. Once They're again. on the right track. Slowly but surely on the right track. And... <laughs> Do you have any uh, thoughts, comments? Yeah, I, I like, I've said before how I like the chemistry between Matt and Audrey, but purely platonic. I'm glad they didn't try to pursue that flirty thing anymore. Yes. Uh, that was a good choice to not do that. Um, I love the fact that the Haitian is incredibly powerful, but Matt can still kind of remember him. Like, honestly, I feel like the Haitian would have just ripped all of that from him. Like, seeing him at the bar and everything. It seems like he's doing it on purpose, almost. Well, you know, we do find out something about the Haitian later on. So. Yes. Maybe. That's, that's a good point, actually. Because Ted uh, remembered him, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Funny how that works, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so not really anything other than that it's a pleasure to see them in Texas joining the main storyline around everyone else, like being the opposite of Nikki and all that. Like they're, they're making connections with these characters and they're in the right geography to be involved in the big story. And uh, that's when the show seems to work best. Agreed. So we touched yeah. on Claire a little bit in talking about Matt and Audrey, but we didn't, we didn't get to see the immediate aftermath I didn't talk about the immediate aftermath of Homecoming. So, Keisha, why don't you 
let us into a little bit more of the immediate aftermath of homecoming we saw in this episode. All right. So Claire and Bennett are at home again. She is all kinds of blood soaked and it's just the two of them at the home. And he is talking with her and she, you know, she, she off screen told him what she could do. And so he confesses to her that he's known for a long time before she made the tapes with Zach and Claire is like, Holy shit. You knew about the tapes. And he's like, yeah, I knew about the tapes. And she feels, she feels a level of guilt because Jackie died because of her in her eyes. And he tells her, don't you worry. That man's taken care of. I promise you. He's not going to hurt anybody again. Claire is informed that her mom doesn't know anything about this, but he does. And she tells him, well, Lyle too. Lyle also found out. Whoops. Uh, so half of the family knows and poor Sandra doesn't. Sandra and Muggles have no idea. So <laughs> because Muggles is part of the family. Um, so Mr. Bennett tells Claire that she needs to destroy those tapes because he needs to keep her safe. Like I said, he's he's known for a while what she can do and he's made steps to keep her safe by doing certain unsavory things and will continue to do so to protect his daughter. That's what's going on for the immediate aftermath of Claire and her father. Now, meanwhile, in the local jail, if you recall, Peter was arrested on site at homecoming, covered in blood, as we've mentioned in other parts of our episode. The first thing that happens with him is Nathan comes in immediately to save the day, or as he puts it so Nathanly, you get in trouble and I drop everything and fix it. Isn't that how it works? <laughs> Such a dick. So they have this moment where Nathan comes in and he sits down and he's talking to Peter and he's like, hey, man, it's okay if you didn't do what you needed to do. And, you know, the world needs nurses, too. And it's okay. And you're not you're not going to be able to to stop the bomb or help people. And. And Peter's like, what? And he's just all, like, hurt by this. He actually turns away from him when he starts talking shit. I love that great device to get us to where we need to be. Which is that Nathan transforms into Siler. He is exactly as he looked at Homecoming. Because that's the only image that Peter has of him. He's, you know, got the baseball hat, the coat, all that. And he tells him, like, how are you going to be able to stop anything when you don't know anything about power? And he does the weird deep Siler voice, which if you've listened to our bonus episode, I talk about extensively and how dumb it is. Um, <laughs> but um, he does it. And uh, and then, oh, then he, you know, he wakes up or whatever. And it's just like, oh, it was a dream. It was a dream. Oh, he's alone in his jail cell. Oh, stuff's happening. Uh, he's, he's under a lot of stress right now, our little uh, Mr. Petrelli. And I just, oh, I don't know. My little shipper heart do love that he... Uh, they see Siler. And it's really great foreshadowing for Nathan to turn into Siler. <laughs> oh, I did a little shimmy. <laughs> Those two are inextricably linked um, forever. So anyway, that's what happens with Peter right after homecoming. But when Claire is brought in and questioned by Matt and or Audrey, with Matt in the other room. She expresses a desire to actually get the chance to meet Peter after all this. And so they let her. Claire goes into his cell. They have a nice conversation where uh, 
<laughs> By the way, when she comes in, it kind of looks like Peter was crying. Which <laughs> kills my heart a little bit. I don't think I noticed that all the many times I've seen this. I was like, oh, man, buddy, c- calm down. <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't she, notice it She's alive, dude. Dude, he's like, he, he like sniffles and wipes his eyes. And I'm like, what the shit? I think he's crying. <laughs> Our poor little emo sponge. He's really going through it, man. Oh, my God. So, okay. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Watch it again. You'll see. I will. So, um, so. Ben is, like, super appreciative. He's like, you saved my Claire. Uh, and Peter's like, hey, I was just, you know, right place, right time kind of thing. And Ben is like, hey, maybe I can get you back for that someday. Which, look forward to that. Because they'll remember that. So, Claire wants to know how long that he knew that he could heal. And Peter's like, I, I couldn't until I met you. Like, that's that's just not how that works for me and she doesn't really get to get into it with him hardcore uh but he just keeps kind of asking her like you know did i did i do the right like is this is this good like you know you're safe and so i i think i saved the world and she's just confused she's like i don't know what do i have to do with the world and they have a lot of uh natural chemistry uh you know who else had a lot of natural chemistry uh luke skywalker and leia so they had a lot of chemistry in star wars i don't i don't think anything weird happened with that though right Anyway, so, <laughs> I don't think that went weird. So, anyway, um, yeah, Milo and Hayden have chemistry. There's just nothing to be done about that. Uh, she, the, my favorite part of when she meets Peter properly, though, and they're not in peril, is the fact that she's trying to have a conversation with him, and constantly Bennett is, like, knocking on the, on the, the door, like, come on, like interrupting her having this conversation with this boy because she's basically alone in a room with a boy and he's being such a dad about it like <laughs> let's go and she keeps she gives him this really great look at one point where she's just like dad you know like stop and i always thought that was really fun how they handled that how he just keeps interrupting her and she's just like i just want to talk to this guy i've never had this interaction with someone who's like me chill the fuck out <laughs> so it's just classic like teen daughter you know behavior like come on you know he's 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 still a boy (laughs) so uh yeah they have this really great interaction together and then later on claire meets up with zach and she tells him that they need to destroy the tapes so she does and he's he has this really great moment with her where he feels bad about even putting her in this position of danger in the first place because he was the one who came and busted her out of her being grounded and dragged her to the game so he he feels guilty about that and she's like it's okay you know i mean you were just you know trying to be a good friend and they have like this really great moment where they're just relating and having good friend stuff and it makes me sad what happens later on uh after that claire is hanging out at home and she's talking with Lyle and she's like, hey, so dad knows now. So it's okay. I mean, like you guys both know and obviously it's a secret, but you know, we're not alone in this. And he's like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. And she's like, you know that I can't get hurt. And he's such a fucking little brother. He just punches her. And he's like, oh, did that, that not hurt? Like, oh, they write Lyle so perfectly. He's such a shit. Uh, and she's just like, okay, what the hell? Like, this isn't what I'm talking about. Remember the whole thing? And he's just so blank. He, he doesn't know what the hell she's going on about. And she confronts him and she's like, well, I don't understand. 
wasn't, you know, like, where's dad? Wasn't he supposed to pick you up from practice? Because he's all, like, sweaty. You can tell he was, like, at, at some sort of athletic thing. He's in, like, his gym clothes. And he's like, yeah, but he didn't. And she just looks at him and she's like, well, then how'd you get home, Lyle? <laughs> and she just really presses that. And it breaks his brain <laughs> because he can't remember <laughs> how he got home. And this sure seems like the act of a certain someone that we know who goes around wiping people's minds, right? Mm-hmm. So this is when we see how Bennett's gonna, he's gonna TCB, he's gonna take care of business. And he's going to do that by basically wiping the minds of everybody who knows. So Lyle's been dealt with. Later on, she will meet up with Zach, who will have no idea why she even wants to meet with him because they don't talk and they haven't in since, like, you know, whatever grade. Just their whole friendship, gone. Which is really depressing because I love their interactions. I think that the Claire and Zach stuff holds up so well. I agree, Kitty. And so, <laughs> so it's really sad because it's like, I understand that Bennett's trying to protect her, but in doing so, he's just isolating her from all of her support systems. And so she calls him and she's freaking out. She doesn't understand why nobody remembers. Nobody knows what she's talking about. What is going on? He answers the phone while he's driving, which come on, dude. Like, that's lame. Don't be that guy bothers me. I don't like when people do that. <laughs> like, focus on the road. Anyway, so she's freaking out. She's talking to him on the phone. Meanwhile, you can see that he's he's like, where are you? Are you home right now? And she's like, yeah, I'm at home right now. I'm just hanging out. And you can see in the background as she's talking, her closet door starts to open, which is super creepy. And I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. Uh, and the Haitian comes out and he grabs her. And he's like, so your dad wanted me to make you forget. But I need you to remember. Guess what? The Haitian is not mute. He can speak and he has his own opinion on how these things should be handled. And that's going to provide a lot of interesting conflict coming up too. uh, Because he didn't follow orders. And there's consequences for that in the company. But yeah, right now Claire is really being positioned against her dad. Which is uh, a shame because they have such a great close relationship. But he is the face of evil after all. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> so that's where, where we leave off with Claire. And then we go back to the jail and Peter and real Nathan comes and gets him and bails him out. Uh, wearing the exact same thing the dream Nathan did. So hello, future. He can see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Nathan comes in and he's all kinds of pissy <laughs> about having to do this. And Peter is looking really bad. He's been looking progressively worse throughout the episode. He's looking really sickly. He's looking really worn down. He's looking really tired. He's not looking good at all. So he gets out of jail. He can't even walk straight. He, he's just like really going through it. And suddenly he passes out and hits the ground. And when he hits the ground, he has a vision. And this is the thing that leads us in tandem with the Isaac paintings. We start seeing more Peter visions. For the uh, rest of the season. And this is the big one that starts that all off. He is standing in uh, New York. The streets are abandoned. Cars are abandoned. There doesn't seem to be anyone around. He walks by a cab. Mohinder's in the cab. Mohinder sees him and runs from him. Uh, Matt is there in his cop outfit. And Nikki, DL, and Micah, they're all there. And they're all running from him. And Matt is like 
kind of helping them, like, oh, get away from this guy. Claire and Nathan both pop up. Claire runs to him in her cheerleader outfit, which is how he met her, uh, at first. And then she sees something, and it's, it terrifies her, and she reluctantly leaves. Simone is there, too, and she tries to go for him, but Isaac shows up, and he keeps her away. Hero and Ando are there. They watch. They seem to have a different reaction slightly. They're, they're really crestfallen. They're defeated looking. Like, oh, they couldn't, they couldn't have done something. And something's going to happen, maybe. And we see Nathan walk out of a building. And he goes right for Peter. And he's just walking right toward him as Peter realizes that his hands are glowing. And they're glowing. And they're getting brighter and brighter. And then he explodes. And that's what he sees as he's passed out and Nathan's trying to get him to wake up and that's our to be continued for the week. Do you have any thoughts about Claire and Peter? Well, one little thing at the end of the episode is he does wake up and he's like, I am the bomb. Yep. And Nathan's like, what the hell? And then Peter just stops breathing. Yep. He's just like catatonic. Oh, Peter, you poor dude. You poor dude. Which not to bring it all around to Siler again, but I'm gonna, um, so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there was a point where I forgot to mention where Bennett says that all these abilities are making him insane. They're degrading his DNA. No one man can have all that power, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Peter is now experiencing that as well. Um, and it's interesting that he seems to be, it seems at least, that he's he's getting sick from having all of these different abilities just rumbling around in his body and that it might be something that he has to learn to channel and deal with or mm-hmm. he'll get overwhelmed mm-hmm. yep but Siler doesn't need that because he's cool <laughs> he, <laughs> he knows how crazy. things work he just goes crazy instead oh yeah so <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah he knows how to how to take something in and not have it well you could do an entire fucking hour about whether about his journey, about whether or not he's lost his mind or not, and how the show portrays that. But yeah, I I just it's worth saying because Peter and Siler are very much the inverse of one another mm-hmm. in terms of both how they grew up and who they are and what sort of experiences they have, and you know, cough cough class war, and um, so, but also in how they develop in terms of the powers that they can hold and what they're able to do and the level of control that they can exude. Cause that's a big part of Peter's journey as he goes forward. Uh, there was one thing that I noticed in this episode that uh, in the bonus episode, I had conveniently forgotten because again, it's been years since we've done a rewatch, let alone one that is spaced out like this. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that is the fact that um, HRG constantly protecting Claire and having to clean up her mess with the Haitian is what ultimately left Eden vulnerable and Mm -hmm. cost Eden her life. And asking for a raise. (laughs) I mean, like, okay. I'm just talking about No, I know, I know. I'm just, I'm just being a silly. No, I know. We're both being silly. Yeah. Okay. Um, No, but you're right, though. You're right. It's his need to absolutely control everything. On that note. On that note. Is the other behind-the-scenes thing the reason that Zach also got his memory wiped? It's really worth considering. Is this the episode where everything got swept under the rug? (laughs) Oh, man. Is this his last one? It is not. I believe you looked it up later, and he uh, had something else. Pops up at least once more, I think. But, yeah. But this could be the episode where that all, that whole 
storyline got swept under the rug. Oh, boy. Yeah, because they were really setting it up in Homecoming, as we've discussed. Yes. Oh, and it was also a big deal at the time because this end um, dream sequence was the first time the entire cast was all together filming. Oh, yeah. Well, except certain guest stars, but yeah, definitely. But the entire main cast was all there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, there's a couple um, photos around of them all posing together because, yeah, it's the the first time they all really filmed at the same time. Yeah, I remember. I remember those photos from back in the day. Mm Mm-hmm. They had a really heavy presence in terms of, like, releasing things like behind-the-scenes photos and stuff. Not something that a lot of shows do. Yes. Oh, I remember the thing. Okay. In the vision, this is something to keep in mind, I think, in the future coming up. Uh, It is very important that Simone is being yanked away by Isaac. Mm -hmm. That Simone is literally being kept from Peter because of Isaac. So, that's a slight foreshadowing for the future. We, we already know oh, something's yeah. there with them, but, like, it is a major foreshadowing in the future. There's so much foreshadowing in just that one little dream sequence. In the whole episode, both of his dream sequences, you know. Yeah, yeah, both of them. So, yeah, um, thanks for joining us for our discussion of episode 11. We'll be back next time with uh, the next episode in season one. Uh, before we sign off however we'd like to encourage you to get a hold of us on our social media accounts you can get a hold of us on twitter at eclipse podcast follow our twitter give us a dm let us know what's up we should be having polls up on there fairly regularly from this point on it's a fun little thing to do i think uh you can send us an email we are eclipsedpod at gmail.com um we also have a tumblr and a discord we will give you the link to the discord server in the show notes for this episode come hang out with us we're really gonna be trying to extend what we've got going on over there but yeah and also uh if you want to follow us on twitter outside of the podcast account uh i am at lady snark that is at lady underscore snark and rachel is at that burb there burb with a b at the end b for bennett (laughs) feel free to follow us on there and yell at us about hero stuff on there too because i'm totally open for that uh yeah thanks for joining us we will see you next time uh we save the cheerleader let's work on the worlds uh also how do you stop an exploding man bye Bye bye-bye Next time on Eclipse, Peter seeks out the help of a doctor who he can learn from. Flying Man! Again, Claire works on a sequel to her latest blockbuster. Matt has serious paper needs, and, uh, Siler's, he's just, he's gonna take a nap this episode. Okay? Tune in. Siler visiting his boyfriend in jail. Oh, my God. <laughs>